0: This morning, our scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 32. We begin in the first verse. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf. And have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought? Out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self saying to them. I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Have you ever been late for something? Or maybe you thought you were right on time, but others thought you were late. I remember a day, it was the day I got married, August 13th, 1983. Mary and I had planned the wedding. We were a little unconventional, you might say, or less traditional in terms of how we thought about what we were doing, rather than the men coming in from one side together and the father of the bride bringing the bride from another direction, we had decided we would gather with our parents at the back of the sanctuary, and Mary would come in with her parents, and I would come in with my mother. We thought this represented our understanding of how important our families, especially our parents, had been in getting us to this moment, and our sense of equality between one another as we entered into this marriage covenant. So I was standing in the narthex at the back of the sanctuary, listening to the organist play the music. He started playing the song we were to enter on, and I was the only one standing there. And I thought, where is Mary? Where are our parents? I dashed down the hall one way and looked around the corner. Nobody. I went down to the other end of the hall and looked down that way. Still nobody. I paced back to the narthex, thinking maybe they were there, and I somehow missed them. Late guests are arriving. I'm greeting them warmly, but inside... I am a wreck. I've seen the movies. Sometimes the bride doesn't show up. She doesn't want to leave the bathroom, or she's jumped in a car and taken off. I thought, surely this is not happening to me. Oh, God, no, Lord, not this. Then finally, I look around. and Here they come, all of them together. It had only been about three minutes, probably. But still, the music was playing. I had been ready. They weren't there. Inside, I was a mess. My palms would have given me away. I was sweating. Well, we all got there, gathered up, got in line, proceeded into the wedding. Everything was fine. But I understand how when someone is delayed, it can cause panic, anxiety, and quite a stir. That's what our text tells us about today. It says Moses was delayed. Moses has been the one on behalf of God leading these people, delivering these people out of slavery and trying to shape and form them into a covenant people, a covenant family, God's own people. And yet, now Moses is delayed. He is gone is what they're thinking. He is gone. Now, to their credit, he did go up on the mountain. It's been 40 days They're beginning to wonder if something bad has happened and he's not coming back. I can understand how their anxiety and their panic begins to rise within them. In their anxiety and panic, the people go to Aaron. Now remember, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's been there since the beginning. When God called Moses, Moses objected to the call for several reasons, one of which is he said, I don't speak very well. God said, no problem, take your brother Aaron, he can speak for you as necessary. So Aaron has been a part of this whole journey with Moses and the people. And since he sometimes speaks for Moses, naturally that's who they turn to. You can hear it in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, Make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us out up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You can hear their anxiety. They're just not sure. They want Aaron to help them out. They want Aaron to take over, to make them or fashion them a god, if you will. Aaron obliges, gathers the gold, and begins to fashion them an object of worship. But do you remember what we read last Sunday? Just before this incident, remember Moses has received these ten words or ten commandments from God about how the people are supposed to live together. Remember the first four all have to do with respecting and honoring God. It says, have no other gods, make no idols. And yet, here the people are. They're making idols right off. It's their first move after they panic when Moses stays away so long. God is not happy with them. I don't think it's too strong to say God is livid with them. Let's read a portion of that right after God sees what the people are doing. In verse 7, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Go down at once! Exclamation point. Your people, notice how God is now saying, these are just Moses' people. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They're worshiping other gods. Clearly, we have a problem here. But not only is God angry, but in verse 10, it goes further than that. God says to Moses, now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. God has chosen them. These are to be the chosen people, the blessed community, to bless all the nations. And now God is ready to give it all up. It looks like God is ready to forsake them. God has decided that the people are choosing a different way. Maybe I am done with them, God thinks. God appears to be ready to end this covenant relationship as a response to the people's transgressions. They are worshiping another God. I don't think it's too strong to say they're choosing to worship gold rather than the one true God. As I was reading through that this week, I wondered, could that happen to us? Do you think we could get distracted by gold and riches, things we can see and hang on to? Or are we always ready to put God first? First. Jesus seems to think it's a problem for lots of people. He addresses it directly at a number of places in the gospel. I want to share just one of those with you. It comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's a part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the portion we often read for Ash Wednesday, talking about what kind of Christian life we should live. The chapter begins with Jesus talking about giving, and Jesus says, don't give thinking about what reward you might give, but give to help others. Then Jesus moves to prayer and says, don't be showy in your praying so other people will see, but be a person of prayer so that you can connect more deeply with God. Then Jesus goes on to talk about after your shape, through prayer, about fasting. And again, he says, don't do this for others for others to see you or think highly of you. Do this so that you can be drawn closer to God so that God can shape and form you. Then Jesus begins to talk about discerning and how important that is before going back to giving. He talks about the difference between giving and getting or having something or hoarding something, he talks about treasure in heaven being more important than treasure on earth, for that's eternal compared to something transitory, and then by the time we get to Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. Are you a slave to the money? Or do you manage your money for God to use to do good in the world? It's a matter of priorities, what you put first. It's not that we don't need any money, but it should not be our top priority. Where does it fall for you? Are you in danger of focusing on Hoarding your riches over against worshiping and serving God? The Bible says that if you get God in the right place, that first place, if you make God the priority, you experience a different kind of peace and security than you can ever have from riches, which can be so transitory. Well, back to the story in Exodus. Which of the people chosen to serve? gold or God in verse 11 and 12 we can hear what Moses and God are saying about this whole incident in terms of how this is unfolding God has said I think maybe I'm done with these people because they have gone astray once again but verse 11 says but Moses implored the Lord his God and said oh Lord Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Moses even goes so far as to remind God of this generational covenant that God has started by calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's sometimes known as Israel. Moses reminds God that this is a long-lasting relationship. This is not something that God should end now. Moses says, this is a mighty long legacy, Lord. In fact, it's generation upon generation. And in fact, you have promised that it will last forever. Let me read you that part in verse 13. Moses is speaking. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I've promised I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And then the most surprising part to me is verse 14, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring upon the people. The Lord changed his mind. Often we do not think about God in that way. Theologians call this anthropocentrism when we began to give human characteristics to God, like saying God is male or God is emotionally volatile and will strike out against us. There's a school of theology called process theology that tries to help us understand this. They say God has a dual nature, one side of God, unchangeable, immutable, eternal, transcendent. The other side, responsive to humanity, close to us, imminent. Always loving and working so that we might experience the best in life. So the most surprising part of this text where it says that God changed his mind is also the good news part of the passage because it says God's not going to destroy the people. We can see an evolution of religious thought from seeing God as punishing and capricious to seeing God as steadfast love and kindness, coupled with justice and mercy. Ron Heifetz tells us a story about his daughter when she was very young, and he posed the question to her, do you think that God learns? She said immediately, yes, of course, God learns. God made me as a learner, so God must be a learner. And interestingly enough, we do say that we're created in the image of God. But she went on to say, there's something else. God created me to learn and to grow. And so God must be able to watch and learn about me. That isn't God with me every day, learning about me so that God can be helpful to me as I grow. She thinks God is there for us and is helpful to us moses thinks the same thing moses is counting on god not to let this wrath overcome the people even when moses thinks god has turned against the people moses stays in relationship with god believing god will be faithful and sure enough at the end of the story god is faithful to the people well in our stewardship campaign this year We're talking about the importance of staying in this relationship with God, staying connected. It's true in stewardship. It's also true in life, that Christ and our connection to God through Christ is the way to life and love and joy and fullness of life. I've put in your outline a quote from a portion of that text we're using from John 15, which sums this all up. Stay connected to me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stay connected to my love. Let's do that this week and see what God will do in our lives. Amen, and thanks be to God.